Good evening, and welcome to Monergy Life. Tonight I have the special pleasure of welcoming Felicia Cruz to the show. Felicia, are you on the air? Hi, I'm here. Great. Uh, We had a little bit of technical difficulty last night when we tried to do the show. Felicia, why don't you tell the listeners what happened? Um... Well, basically, I was I called into the pre-interview with that, and the location I was at was a park, and I went to call back for the real interview and realized that my phone was dead and had to rush around to get to rush around to get a charger. So I'm currently in San Francisco right now on the first day of our tour. Well, yesterday was the first day, but today is the second day. Excellent. When are you actually going to start your um, concerts? Um, we start tomorrow Tomorrow at 9 a.m. is our call time for our first show in Mountain View, California. Excellent. So you must be very excited about that. Absolutely. So, Felicia, why don't you tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with Fighting for Futures? Okay, I'll... Basically, I traveled the world, and I realized that there's things that will start to be either unsaid or unthought back to the other side of the world, if that makes sense. Um, just really want to, I don't know, and I, I don't I really don't know how to explain it. I'm actually kind of nervous to even be on a, a radio show. So oh, pr- oh, please, please don't be nervous. Um, there's absolutely no reason to be nervous. I mean, uh, I, I think your story is a very interesting and an important one, and it should give you great pleasure to share it with people. There's nothing to be nervous about. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I just traveled a lot, and when I traveled a lot, I just realized there were things going down that I just wanted to expose and tell people and share with the world and document and try to, try to help remedy, you know. I know I can't change everything, but maybe I can help you something. So... Yeah, no, I I think that's very, very admirable of you. Um, When you say you travel the world, could you share with the audience some some of the places that you went to before you ended up, I know, in Cambodia and Southeast Asia, where we're going to talk more specifically about the work you did there, but what were some of the other places you went to before Cambodia? Um, it was more after, well, before and after, I guess you could say Cambodia, but I visited India, China, um, Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, just the main circuit in Europe, the main backpacking circuit, a little bit out of the way in Europe, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's it thus far. Mexico, I just got, I just did an endeavor in Mexico, we just did a friendship making, friendship bracelet making workshop there, so a bit. A little bit of everywhere. I'm still trying to find more. I'm sorry, you're still still trying to find what? We're going to always find more places to go, too, you know? It's not a thing that just stays sectioned off. Absolutely. And, you know, what were were some of your impressions? Uh, I assume you were raised in the United States. Is that correct? Yes, I was. So when you visited places like India, China, and parts of Southeast Asia, what were your impressions as an American? I mean, in terms of the way the people were living, and what was your take on their lives? 
I would say at first I didn't really know what I was witnessing, and I was probably the typical uninformed person that I, I was just kind of like, oh, poor baby, uh, you know, and I, I never wanted to, I don't want to be the type of poor baby is. I believe, like, if you're around children, you should treat them like they're adults, you know, animals, kind of like people, you know, sense of how you speak to somebody, so kind of a general respect that you give everybody, and they want to feel that mm-hmm. way, so instead of feeling so that way... So would like, you say, would you say your first impressions in, 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 some, in some of these third world countries, your first impressions were sympathy, pity, uh, something something along those lines? Yeah, of course. You see empathy. I mean, empathy too. You know, you see children in the night selling things. Um, you know that they're being taken advantage of sexually by other people around. There's all sorts of child labor laws that are being broken. Um, I mean, there's so many different facets of poverty and disease and death and you know just basic living and basic human needs not being met. But it's it's not. It's not something you just look at, and you you know you don't really know what to do, especially if you've never witnessed that. Especially if you just go out into the world and you just start traveling for whatever reason, you know, just to travel right. to get so that there's something more out there. So that's really how I went. I never really thought about issues like this until then, until I was personally with them, and I was you know, shocked to go back, and I just didn't want to not do anything. So I tried to get out as more as much as possible, right. learn as much. Read. I went back to school after I traveled the first time to Southeast Asia just to learn more about current situations and, you know, some things that I had just learned from being right there, you know, as far mm-hmm. as, like, the revolution. I just wanted to learn more. That's it. And that's what that provokes. Travel provokes learning more and real-life experience equals real learning, you know? Right. Now, on your first trip to Southeast Asia, is that when you first encountered the um, the schoolgirl in Cambodia that you assisted? Or was that on a second That was my second trip, and those trips are about five years apart. Oh, okay. And in between there, I had visited other places. Right. And then I knew I wanted to go back to Cambodia. I planned a, a month's trip with my, to my girlfriend to visit the entire country to go from top to bottom. And And when was that trip, the second trip that you went back to Cambodia? January 2009. Right. So, so on that second trip, you wanted to focus more on that country. Um, what was it about Cambodia that that so piqued your interest that made you want to go back? I like how rogue it is. Everything there is just free flowing. It's, it's lawless, and at the same time, it makes much sense because things like fresh vegetables, um, the fresh food that you eat on a daily basis um, that you eat here and that you actually have to go out for and go to the store, maybe pay a little more if you know, if you want it organic, if you don't want it right from a factory, you know. Everything there was just... Them, it would seem poor, but to me, the way I look at it is the less you have and the simpler things are, the easier it is to live and not have to worry about that and you can just focus on getting what you have to get done to survive and that's your main reason to live, you know. Right. And what was your, yeah, you know, compared to a country like the United States, which is obviously richer materially and financially, what was your take on the happiness level of the people you encountered in Cambodia? Did you find them happier than most people you knew in the United States, less happy, or no no big difference? 
I don't know if I can be more or less happy because I guess it's kind of relative, but what I can say is that the quality of life seemed to be people were consistently nicer to other people than more of the areas I'm around. You know, New York, for instance, because that's obviously where I spend most of my time when I'm not traveling. Um, and, yeah, it's just a general overall friendly, you know, like a willingness to help, a willingness to please, a willingness to obviously, of course, sell and sell their product and make money, depending on who it is, but in different areas, it's more touristy than other areas, you know, if you're in main villages or if you're in countryside with families that are, you know, they're just eating and pulling speaking off their land to cook, so I don't know if it's more or less happy, I just know that things seem a lot less intricate as far as your wants and your needs, and, and your wants and your needs are different in a very specific, you know? Mm-hmm. And did so, you find yourself in in a particular Cambodian village that you know you were drawn to, where you met the uh, the young schoolgirl that you wanted to help? Yeah, I was actually in the uh, a backpack a pack backpacking district of Phnom Penh called um, Bonghak Lake, and mm-hmm. that area is um, you know a predominant backpack area. So there's a lot of young children that sell books, and they live right across the lake, or live should I say, because that lake was being slowly filled in over the years by um, the government and the Chinese, I believe, to create more like, hotels. So they were filling this amazing lake in that had all, you know, like lower-income housing or, like, projects, I guess you could say. I don't know, flavelas. You know, basically just shacks and huts all along the Bowling Lake area. And it was its own intricate little village. So, yeah, the little girl, Chanty, was there, and I met her, and she was selling books. And I kind of just wanted to share her story, so I just sold the books with her for a day. And I walked around, sold the books. She told me, you know, little tips that she does, who not to sell to, why not to sell to certain people. And for eight years old, nine years old, you know, see a child that smart, it was like talking to, you know, a peer my age that would be teaching me how to do anything else if I was in a new job. And, uh, and, and was, she able, was she able to speak with you in English? Yeah, mostly. You know, broken English, but I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's... Really, when you're just trying to speak to someone who speaks broken English, it's just about breaking up the English yourself and dropping out, you know, unnecessary words. And usually communication works pretty well. Right. So you got to know this little girl fairly well over the course of, uh, what, a few weeks that you spent there? Yeah, I was there initially just to pass through Phnom Penh, and then I ended up staying um, about a week over the time that I was there already, which was like an initial three days. So about a week and a half, I just kind of did a bunch of work as far as, um, I guess, analyzing the situation and just going in and, and meeting her family and trying to understand the dynamics of the village and nature of how, in general, Cambodia runs things, you know, the the ways of their land and their understanding of how things go because, you know, when you go into a situation like that, you don't want to impose your American beliefs on a situation that you see. You want to let the beliefs of what, you know, the country settle into who you are and what you're doing and then go from there and making the community people go in and just make it based on who they you know, Americans. Of course. What were some of the the observations that you made from spending time with with this girl and her family about the way life was actually lived in Cambodia in this particular part of Phnom Penh. Um, I guess the one thing that always that I would say first and foremost was just the fact that 
person who was playing caretaker, her aunt, was actually, she was actually sold to her aunt from her mother because her mother had several children and her aunt needed someone to help her work and to do things. Aunt drank several during the day, from what I witnessed, you know, firsthand, and Jumpy went out and sold books and basically made friends with foreigners and tried to get money, you know, to feed the family. But she right. also insisted in taking care of, you know, her younger siblings, whether they were really, like, you know, blood siblings. Everyone was kind of closely related in the community. You could see it, but also the the walkways in there, you know, on my website there's videos, um, but the walkways in there, they were completely busted, and I had asked one time, when I say busted, let me, I'll be more specific, over this lake where there's, like, massive amounts of garbage and feces and, like, just really broken up homes and housing, there were these bridges that connected each one of them, and they were always missing planks in the middle. So you could see the garbage, and you could smell it, and it was right there. And there was always small children around. So one of my questions was, like, well, you know, do any of the children ever fall in? Because they're always crawling all over this. There's jagged nails sticking up. Like, the environment is nothing what I would expect, you know, in my opinion, about the business, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, yeah, you know, sometimes sometimes they fill in, sometimes they fill in, but you know, we just get them out. You know, we just pull them out. And I'm like, oh, all right, you know, oh. that's that's a good point. You know, the thing is, like that to me is so gasping. Like, you know, I take a deep breath. Like, oh my god, you know, a two-year-old is falling this garbage somehow there, and it's me that's outstanding. And but then they just pull them out. Right. So did you? Right. So, so this really obviously got your attention. They had these missing planks in these walkways, and did you set out to do something about that? Not specifically, no. You know, okay. not specifically so, that that problem. But um, other things. I wanted to build more of a long-term situation, something that I felt would help empower the children in that village to perhaps want to be more than what, I guess, their parents or their their guardians were imposing on them. You know, try to, like, maybe broaden aspects of their creative mind a little bit, because they're... Okay, so you focused on education and the arts. Creative education, I would say, or creative... Do you say a creative foundation, you know? So what 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 did you actually set up in in this in, in this part of Phnom Penh to to help the education of these children? Well, about a year. It took me about a year. I came home. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was be able to get Chauncey in school because she was on the street selling books for a full day. So I figured out how to do that. And six months after January of 2009, um, I went back to Cambodia, Phnom Penh, and talked to her parents and figured out what school to put on stage. She successfully put her in school for both English and Thai. And um, came home back to the U.S., did a series of fundraisers to raise money to go back, implement my own um, photography. So we call them photography therapy or phototherapy programs, but we later seemed to get a workshop just because it was more of a workshop to build understanding what that creative art was and what they could do with it just to kind of, you know, interrupt the thought process. Well, if you could if you could uh, 
uh, elaborate a little bit more on this creative photography and and you know because it's a great term. So so how did you what is it exactly translate to in terms of you know offering these kids you know uh, an opportunity to get involved in photography? Could you be specific about that? Specifically, I had a group of five to. It ranged, it was different each day. Um, there was like four, usually the same three girls, and then there was a couple more kids that would come from the village, and then there was a couple more kids that would get from another part of town a few times. But overall, it was a 10-day program in the city. And it was, um, you would go over the fundamentals of the camera. And not go too into depth about, because obviously it's English, so it's fluent English, should I say. So it's more of a show and tell, more of a Dubai example. Um, and just let them have their cameras and gave them specific missions. You know, go out and and take pictures of every street, and then they would come back and keep in mind all the things that we spoke about. You know, in the beginning, you know, composition, flash, if you need a flash, you know, how you would hold, different ways you would hold the camera. Of course, it's different. And then um, the kids come back to the lounge that we had it at. It's kind of like a, um, a, I don't know, a hostel area. Then a hostel situation, a guest house, and they let us use their front lobby. We would upload the pictures and then go through the pictures with the kids. And then later on, we ended up printing those pictures out and doing a show in Brooklyn for them. Fantastic. And and so how long did this program uh take to set up and is it ongoing now? Is it still ongoing even if you're not in Cambodia? Is it still going on without you? Oh, it's definitely not going on without me and that's the one downfall to this whole thing because obviously not everything can go 100% right but to sustain something like this is an exuberant amount of money and coordination and time that you need many hands for and unfortunately my hands are two and I have some really great people around me but it's just not enough monetarily to sustain, sustain something like this in each case. So the only thing I can hope to do now is try to keep working my way into meeting and involving myself into different villages around the world and documenting what I'm doing and hopefully using that to get grants. And that's what we're attempting to do now. I'm you know, constantly putting together more footage, uh, more pieces of work of different endeavors that we've done the different communities um, we've integrated in and just to you know, listen to the people hear stories that we would never understand or never hear about. Um, go into local schools and try to be a help and service which is our native language even if it's for a couple of weeks. You know, fighting for future safety in a lot of different um, aspects of giving back, of putting service with art because we also make sure that there's an artist on board that's involved in the music community because that's you know part of my job and New York. So an artist performing with the village, with whatever workshop we're doing, in conjunction with the service, is the main idea of fighting. Right. So is the tour that you are starting tomorrow in the States connected to your fundraising efforts to conduct more of these cultural exper- cultural innovations around the world? Yes. Currently, currently we have eight dates, um, eight tour dates, and of those eight tour dates are in different cities along the way, and we plan on doing um, different endeavors in each city, um, from scheduled workshops and community centers that we already have in places like Long Beach and New York, and to just 
um, on-site workshops when we are with the Bring It Back stage on the Vans Warp Tour. Um, our, our artist right now, our official artist providing for features is Adrienne Agravis, and she's doing a 10-minute set on each stage. And then we'll be passing out lots of promotional material for Fighting for Futures and um, lots of um, ways to just, you know, right there, teach kids or make kids have an interest in what we're doing. You know, we'll have cameras on site. We'll have um, a boombox there to be able to, you know, bring the music out. Adrian does songwriting uh, workshops that we developed, and that's, you know, we're kind of just trying to bring it out there with us and bring it bring the idea that this is what we're doing as working adults and this is what you can do too if you want. You know, it just takes a lot of hard work and patience. Right. And be- besides um, doing those uh, photography, um, um, I guess you would call them um, demonstrations with the children in Cambodia, did you also try and renovate part of the school that was in that part of Phnom Penh? Oh, yeah, well, that was actually the other part of something. There was two programs that we did. We did a city program and a country program. In the mm-hmm. country, there was a whole set of different set of children, and they were in, um, in the masses. There was probably about 20 to 85 children every time I was in the village, and that was an eight-week program, in which time we did an eight-week photography program and built two bathrooms. Um, with the help of the local construction workers. Um, we did a lot of hands-on work as well as documenting the whole thing. And then the library that was in the same area of the bathroom, there's a school downstairs that has their help, English class their help, but upstairs there was a non-used library that had a bunch of full boxes with donations in them, and it was pretty dusty and just really unkept and unused. And um, Hannah Ryan and I, who's a doctor from the U.K., she helped me with all these missions in uh, her and I cleaned out the room, documented the whole thing. Um, we took it up on ourselves to go get the tables and chairs and little things that the kids could use with what was already there to utilize it to the full capacity. Uh, made the area where you could read more spacious, you know, put some, some mats down so they could sit comfortably and have a way to communicate and, you know, things on the wall to help with education and numbers and well, sorts of things you would expect to see in a seven to fifteen year old room of play and then in learning. Right. And um are you still in touch with the village, you know, since you left I, I guess you left about a year ago. This this took place in maybe the beginning of two thousand and ten. Are we talking about that time period? Yes. January to May two thousand ten. And, uh, yeah, I talked to um, the owner, who is an amazing man, um, Chorn, and he also worked really hard in Cambodia for the school and for his country to kind of help the children in his country. And, yeah, he very much we're just working, keeps doing the same thing over and over, and when I get a chance to go back there, that's, you know, that's where I'm going to go. Right. And, and so... Um, the the these photography classes that you had in that one part of Phnom Penh, how long did they last? And did you see any kind of an impact on the children for the time that they were ongoing? Of course, you know you you can't really uh, uh, you know you, you you can't expect miracles. But I'm just wondering, what was your impression of the effect of just having these classes with these children? Um, I guess that. It, for short as it was, 
the one thing I do wish is that we could go back and implement it on a long-term basis to see the full development. But what I did know is that when the addiction to flows and all the children got to look at their pictures on the wall, they were excited to see what they had done. They were excited to see that they took a picture of someone else or one of their friends, and that was all captured. You know, we see them um, kind of like an opening party. You know, we had performances from a local Cambodian hip-hop group involved in the village. We did a party there. We painted the bathroom. We, we got to really experience what it was like to have, like, a full out cultural event, you know, that's pertaining to their culture and our culture. And just music and bring it all together, open a space event and pictures of that the people on that wall. So for them to see it, it was, that alone was, Right. Uh, well, it it sounds like it was an, an incredibly gratifying experience to work with these children, even if it was for a limited time period. Yeah, I mean, it was for as long as it could be for right now and as long as I can keep getting out and doing that and hopefully I can go back around to all these places and create something sustainable for everybody. And that's the idea, you know. The, the fact is that I have to do something to show somebody to get money. No one's going to just give it to you based off an idea. So you know, it's come up to get on my own funds and the funds of other people helping. Just to put it. Right. Now, where is the best place for people to contact you if they want more information or if they want to lend their support to your efforts? Okay. And and on that website, it'll have all the the different uh, dates for the concert that are starting tomorrow. Actually, well, info is actually my email address. Um, but if you want to learn more information and just read the website, is fightingforfutures.org. Yes, www.fightingforfutures.org. Right. Tomorrow we start our first day. We have a campaign going on right now for fighting for futures to help support the tour. So if there's anybody out there. In- Well, you know, Felicia, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I think you demonstrate the power of one person who's trying to make a difference not only in their own lives but in the lives of other people and overcoming whatever challenges come in your way. Uh, And I think it's a great example for other people who are out there, whether they're just trying to support themselves or their family or whether they're following their passion in life and are encountering different, you know, obstacles and challenges. It shows you what you can do. And, And... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you were trying to do in this part of Phnom Penh with your photography class is just to show 
this small group of people and it doesn't have to be a large amount of people that you impact, what is possible in their life to expand their range of possibilities right now? No, you right now, it. today. Yeah, right now, exactly. Thank you so much for, I mean, your words, that's what really makes it easy to keep going. Even when it is hard, you know, it's nice that people use those words and encouragement. I appreciate that. And you having me on the show, of course. Thank you. Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I was really, um, I was very impressed when we spoke about what you were doing and what you were trying to do in different parts of the world. And I'm not suggesting that everybody has to do exactly what you are doing, but I think it's it's a really good example of what is possible today, in spite of, you know, all kinds of publicity and people worrying about what they don't have you're actually doing something tangible and you're actually helping people in another part of the world and just to open their lives up a little bit. And you saw the impact it made with these children in the short time that the class was ongoing. And, and I think that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of change that's, that is, is doable by everybody. That, uh, it's, it's change if it's not on a one to one. If it's not on a one-to-one basis, it's, in a, it's within small groups. That kind of change really adds up fast. We're running out of time. Felicia, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, if you want to quickly say you, the website again, I believe it's fightingforfutures.org, right? Yes, sir, fightingforfutures.org. And then second important is indie.com, indiegogo.com slash fightingforfutures. Um, this is just how how we're making it happen right now nationally. We're on our first national tour for Fighting Futures, and that's huge because we've only done international stuff. But right now, we're doing it as we speak. Like we are in San Francisco, ready to start tomorrow. Getting all geared up together. Best of luck with the tour, and good night to all my listeners. Thanks so much for joining us at Energy Life. Good night. Thank you, Energy. Energy.